Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Our Bible reading is from Isaiah chapter 42, verse 18, uh, going on to 43, verse 21, on page 729 of the Church Bibles. Page 729 of the Church Bibles. Hear, you deaf, look, you blind, and see. Who is blind but my servant, and deaf like the messenger I send? Who is blind like the one in covenant with me, blind like the servant of the Lord? You have seen many things, but you pay no attention. Your ears are open, but you do not listen. It pleased the Lord for the sake of his righteousness to make his law great and glorious. But this is a people plundered and looted, all of them trapped in pits pits, or hidden away in prisons. They have become plunder with no one to rescue them. They have been made loot with no one to say, send them back. Which of you will listen to this or pay close attention in time to come? Who handed Jacob over to become loot and Israel to the plunderers? Was it not the Lord against whom we have sinned? For they would not follow his ways, they did not obey his law. So he poured out on them his burning anger, the violence of war. It enveloped them in flames, yet they did not understand. It consumed them, but they did not take it to heart. But now, this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not fear. For I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt for your ransom, Cush and Seba in your stead. Since you are precious and honored in my sight, and because I love you, I will give people in exchange for you, nations in exchange for your life. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bring your children from the east and gather you from the west. I will say to the north, give them up, and to the south, do not hold them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, who I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Lead out those who have eyes but are blind, who have ears but are deaf. All the nations gather together and the peoples assemble. Which of their gods foretold this and proclaimed to us the former things? Let them bring in their witnesses to prove they were right, so that others may hear and say, it is true. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant who I have chosen, so that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me no God was formed, nor will there be one after me. I, even I, am the Lord, and apart from me there is no saviour. I have revealed and saved and proclaimed, I and not some foreign God among you. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, that I am God. Yes, and from ancient days I am he. No one can deliver out of my hand. When I act, who can reverse it? This is what the Lord says. 
your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. For your sake I will send to Babylon I will, and bring down as fugitives all the Babylonians in the ships in which they took pride. I am the Lord, your Holy One, Israel's Creator, your King. This is what the Lord says. He who made a way through the sea, a path through the mighty waters, who drew out the chariots and horses, the army and reinforcements together, and they lay there, never to rise again, extinguished, snuffed out like a wick. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. The wild animals honor me, the jackals and the owls, because I provide water in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland to give drink to my people, my chosen, the people I formed for myself, that they may proclaim my praise. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Mark, and good morning, everyone. It's very good to have you with us this morning. As we begin, I must confess, I face a bit of a dilemma as a Scottish rugby fan. Uh, <laughs> do I mention the game yesterday? Is that the third or fourth victory in a row? I can't remember, over England. But on the, on the other hand, it's going to be, what, another 30 years before we beat England again? Uh, so I'll probably keep quiet and not mention anything. And actually... We've got four more glorious things to consider this morning from God's word. With that in mind, let me pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the comfort of these words. We thank you for the plan that you reveal and the heart that we see. And I pray for each one of us this morning that you would comfort weary people, that we might cling on to you until you bring us home. Amen. Have we ever wondered if we will make it home? Growing up, I remember one day, I was in my final year at school. It was a Saturday. My parents were away for the day, and I was due to play a game of rugby in Edinburgh. It was about a 45-minute trip away. I, I got the bus in to the game. And we played the match. And afterwards, one of my friends gave me a lift from where we played the game back to the bus station in Edinburgh so I could get the bus home again. And I remember as my friend dropped me off and pulled away in his car, I, I reached down to check for my wallet. And it wasn't there. I, I, I checked all my pockets. I, I checked in my bag. It was just gone. No wallet. No money. No return bus ticket. This was the days before mobile phones, no phone. I had no way to contact my friend or my parents. And I remember standing there on the street corner with no idea how I was going to get home. Ever been there before? Maybe a, a broken down car. Maybe a snowstorm. Maybe a cancelled flight or, or some health emergency or like Nathaniel um, lost glasses in that video. Maybe a miscommunication, a, a friend who's let us down. Home is a place of safety. Home is where we're protected and sheltered from the world around us. Home is a place where we are known and loved and to not be able to get home is one of our greatest fears. 
as we pick up our series in Isaiah, that is exactly the question facing the people of God. Will they ever make it home again? We've been seeing how the Babylonians are about to come and they will destroy Jerusalem and they will carry many of God's people away into exile 800 miles away from home where they will be slaves. This morning, we see God's answer to his homesick people. It is a surprising answer, perhaps even a shocking answer, and yet it is an answer of unbelievable comfort. And this morning, as we look at what God says to his homesick people in exile, we're going to see that his answer, it's, it's too big, it's too glorious to be about just one journey back from Babylon to Jerusalem. It's more than that. It's speaking about how God's going to gather people from every corner of this earth, across every generation, to bring us to our true home with him forever. If we're Christians here this morning, as good as Sheffield is, we know there is a better home, an eternal home, beyond all pain and suffering, a home beyond death itself, a home where we are truly known and loved and protected forever, a home with the Lord. And the question this morning is, how can we be certain we will make it to that home? In case you're the kind of person who worries, my friend did see my wallet on his passenger seat in his car. He turned around. He came back to where he left me, and I was still standing there just looking lost. I got the wallet. I got home. What about us? Why can we be confident that we will make it home? to our true home. Three points this morning. The first is this, a hope that fades. Last week we met a new figure in Isaiah, the servant of the Lord, a servant who would bring justice to this broken world. But this morning the camera pans around to another servant, and the contrast couldn't be greater. Verse 18, hear you deaf, look you blind and see, who is blind but my servant, and deaf like the messenger I send. The tone now is completely different. This can't be the servant from the beginning of Isaiah 42 that we saw last week. No, this is another servant. Who is this? Well, verse 19 continues, who is blind like the one in covenant with me, blind like the servant of the Lord. This now must be the people of God, Israel, the people who are in covenant with the Lord. And her blindness is not a physical kind. Verse 21, it pleased the Lord for the sake of his righteousness to make his law great and glorious. When God set up his covenant relationship with his people, right at the center of that relationship was his law. It, it was great and glorious. The way of life that he described for them in his law was a good way to live. It was about justice. 
It was about the, the poor and the weak and the needy, the widows amongst the people being cared for and protected. It was meant to be an attractive way of life such that the nations around Israel would see how she lived and would want to be drawn in to live like that themselves. In that sense, Israel was God's servant. They had a role to play in the world, showing the nations God's glory. But she is blind. She has seen God's glory revealed in his law, but verse 20, she has paid no attention to it. Instead, as we read through Isaiah, we find that people of God, they are marked not by justice, but by bloodshed. The kind of people where the poor, the widows aren't cared for, but they're crushed. A kind of people where the powerful grow more powerful at the expense of the weak people amongst the tribe of Israel. And behind this rejection of God's law, verse 24 makes very clear, is a rejection of God himself. And so here is a hope that fades. For 300 years, God had hoped that his people would stop rebelling against him and his law, that they would repent and start living the way he called them to live. But for 300 years, they would not. And so eventually, God has had enough. Verse 24. Who handed Jacob over to become loot? And Israel to the plunderers. Was it not the Lord against whom we have sinned? When the Babylonians come and destroy Jerusalem and they take the people away from their home into a foreign country, when that happens, it's not bad luck. It's not a question of being wrong place, wrong time. No, when it happens, it's because God has caused it. And Isaiah, the prophet, is not riding his moral high horse, wagging his finger at the people of God. Did you notice how he says, verse 24, we have sinned. He is as just as much part of the problem as anyone else and actually, as we go through the Bible as a whole, the Bible would say that none of us here this morning can stand on some moral high ground and look down on Israel and wag our finger at them because this is not a Jewish problem. It's a, a human problem. I know lots of people nowadays do their shopping online, but imagine you go to a supermarket one week to do your weekly shop and you're in a bit of a rush and so you see that shopping trolley just near the front door all on its own and so you grab the trolley and you head into the shop but very quickly you realize why that particular trolley was left on its own. It's got a wonky wheel. You, you know what it's like, you're heading down the aisle and as hard as you try to go forward straight down the aisle, the trolley has a mind of its own, it, it just veers off into whatever display of food you're walking by, I don't know, some pile of baked bean tins or Actually, because it's full, with probably some fancy cheese display. <laughs> our, our hearts are like that shopping trolley with a wonky wheel. We know what God would have from us. In our 
better moments, we know that God's ways are good and glorious. And yet, don't we feel this? How our hearts just veer away from the way God has called us to live, heading off our own way again and again. And when we do sin, it's easy to adopt the New Year's resolution approach. A new year, a new me. Uh, That thing I just did, the words I just used, the attitude I just adopted, the way I just felt in my heart towards someone else, I won't do that again. We have a reset, a fresh start in our minds. We try again. And for Israel, you would think that the exile would be her reset moment, wouldn't you? But verse 25. So he poured out on them his burning anger, the violence of war. It enveloped them in flames. Yet they did not understand. It consumed them, but they did not take it to heart. We can't understand Isaiah unless we realize the exile does not change the people of God. A hope that fades. Isaiah is showing us that God takes sin very seriously. In Genesis 3, the first sin led Adam and Eve to lose their home in the Garden of Eden, and they were cast out. And here in Isaiah 42, the same rebellious heart will lead Israel to lose her home as she goes into exile. And the truth is that the same sin persists in our hearts today. If our hope of getting home to be with the Lord forever in any way rests on our ability to change ourselves and to get our lives sorted out, then that is a hope that fades. It's a hard word this morning. Isaiah, though, writes with a pastor's heart because he knows that unless we understand the true state of things, We won't be ready to hear what he has to say next. And what he has to say next is truly glorious. I hope that fades. But next, a love that prevails. Isaiah 43 verse 1. But now... Throughout the Bible, there are a number of those moments... Those hinge moments when things that look so dark suddenly are transformed into glorious hope. Isaiah 43 verse 1 is one of those hinge moments. Learn it, own it, rejoice in it. But now, this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not fear. For I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. Israel's exile is not the end of the story. The Lord will redeem her. In other words, the Lord will bring her from slavery in Babylon 
back to the promised land, back to her home in Israel. In fact, it is so certain that he speaks of this redemption in the past tense, even though it's still many years in the future. We've seen how God's anger towards Israel is like a fire, but now look at verse 2. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. God will protect his people from his own anger. Why? Why will the people survive? Why will they come home? At no point does Isaiah say it's because they sort themselves out or stop sinning. No, verse 4. Since you are precious and honored in my sight and because I love you. A love that prevails. Imagine a newly married couple on their honeymoon, madly in love with each other, savoring every second together, dreaming dreams about their new life together when they get back home after the honeymoon. But then imagine the honeymoon does come to an end, and then imagine disaster, unfaithfulness in the marriage, the wife unfaithful to her husband. The husband finds out about the affair. He's heartbroken. He pleads for his wife to come back, but she won't. That is very much the sense here in Isaiah of how the people of God have treated him. For 300 years. And like a heartbroken husband, the Lord would be well within his rights to say enough is enough, an end to the relationship. And yet to his rebellious and unfaithful people, the Lord says, you are precious and honored in my sight. I love you. I almost don't know what to say. The one true God of the universe, the God who flung the stars into space and who made the world around us and every person on this planet, the one who is supreme over kings and rulers and nations, the one who has always been and who always will be, the one who has been caused by no one but is himself the cause of everything. The one true God who is blazing pure white in his holiness and purity looks at his sinful, rebellious people and he says, you are precious and honored in my sight. I love you. What is there to say? Well, verse five, do not be afraid. For I am with you. I will bring your children from the east. In other words, they will come home because there is a love that prevails. Our human love is often so transactional. I'll love you if you love me, or I'll love you as long as I find you lovable. 
And if that is our experience of human love and our human relationships, it's easy to map that kind of love back up onto the way God loves us. But it's not. His love is totally undeserved. And not just for Israel in her exile. As verse 5 continues, this homecoming is not just from the east, but it's also from the west. And from the north, and from the south, and not just for one generation, but also for the sons and daughters to come. In fact, verse 7, this is for all who are called by the name of the Lord. You see, Israel were in, ex- in exile in Babylon. That was just in one direction. But Isaiah is describing this return from every point of the compass. And as he so often does, he's lifting our eyes up and beyond one particular moment in history to an even greater moment and to an even greater return that will take place for all of God's people across all of time back to our true home, not in some square corner of modern-day Palestine, but to our heavenly home. If we have come this morning weighed down by our sin, if we have come this morning worried that not just other people might discover the sheer extent of what we're like, but that God himself will know. If we come wondering if one day God will say to us, enough is enough. If we've come worried about that moment when we stand before the Lord at the end of time to give an account of our lives and we think, I'm not going to make it. I'm just not good enough. God says, You are precious and honored in my sight. Can this be true? After all our sin and failure? Well, in verse 5, God will demonstrate his love to Israel by exchanging one nation for her. In the context, I think that's Babylon. The Lord will crush Babylon to free his people and bring them home. But hundreds of years later, God would make an even more remarkable exchange to save his people. In the New Testament, Romans 5, verse 8, we read, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Here is the most remarkable exchange of all time. God's own son, his beloved precious son, his perfect son, dying in our place that we might be forgiven. What an exchange. What a demonstration of God's love for sinful people. Nothing to do with our efforts, but all to do with him. A love that prevails. And so here is our confidence that we will make it home. Not because of what we will do or how we will change, but simply because there is a God whose love prevails.
But before we finish, there's one more confidence Isaiah wants to tell us about. And here's our final point. A promise that's been tested. There's much here. I I can't cover it all. But from verse 8, Isaiah takes us back to an imaginary courtroom scene that he's mentioned a couple of times in these last few weeks. God and the nations are, are locked in this trial. And the question is, who can control the future? And the difference now is that God is going to call forward some witnesses to testify to his ability to be the only one who can control the future. The, the nation gathered all around, and they, you can imagine them craning their necks to see who God's going to call forward as his witnesses. And here they come. Verse 8. Lead out those who have eyes but are blind, who have ears but are deaf. I'm no legal expert, but I understand that the kind of witness you want in court to help you win your case is a witness who can see. And yet when God has his moment in court, he chooses witnesses who are blind. It's not a very promising start to his defense. But as the trial progresses, Israel's success as a witness is not so much about her ability to see, but more that she just exists at all. Verse 12, you are my witnesses, declares the Lord, that I am God. Yes, and from ancient days I am he. No one can deliver out of my hand. When I act, who can reverse it? It's like this. When you see a beautiful clay pot, that clay pot speaks of the skill of the potter who made it. When you enjoy a tasty cake, the taste of that cake speaks of the skill of the baker. And when you find a blind and faithless people being kept through history, it speaks of the power of God to keep his promises. In that sense, Israel is a witness to the Lord, not because she can see, but, but, but because she exists. And God makes a promise to her. Verse 14. He says, I will defeat Babylon. And that defeat will trigger the release of his people. And sitting here over 2,000 years later, we, we look back on history and we see that Babylon did fall. God's people did come back from exile. God did keep his promise. He he brought them home. And so here is a promise that's been tested. And actually from verse 16 onwards, God describes another moment when he brought his people home. From slavery in Egypt, how in the Exodus he brought them through to the promised lands many years before. Another promise that's been tested. And the point of the history lesson is to not leave us stuck in the past. But verse 19, it is to give us promise, uh, to give us confidence about what is to come. As I finish, on Friday afternoon, a number of us met to give thanks for the life of Joan Butterfield. Joan was a Christian, a member of the church family here for many years, known and loved by many of us here this morning. And the family chose that reading from John chapter 14, where Jesus is speaking to his anxious, troubled disciples about the reality of death. And in John 14, he makes a promise to them. He says, I will come back and take you to be with me. Here is a promise about our future. 
that Jesus will come back and take us home to be safe with him forever. But it's hard, isn't it? And we've heard of other dear people who've passed away this week as well. It's hard because death is real. And we can't see this home that has been prepared for us. No one's been there and come back to tell us what it's like. We just have this promise given to us. And you throw in all our sin and all our broken dreams that we experience in this fallen world. And it's hard to believe that one day we will make it home. But here's a promise that's been tested. In the exodus, in the exile, indeed in the death and resurrection of Jesus, when God says, I can bring you home, it's a promise that he has kept again and again and again in the past. It's a promise that's been tested. And so when it comes to dear people like Joan, who trusted in the Lord, we know she is now at home with him forever. And for each one of us this morning, with our, our weak and feeble hearts, when we put our trust in Jesus, he will bring us safely home. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love that prevails, that prevails over history, that prevails over the rise and fall of, of empires, and most of all, that prevails over our sin. We thank you that Christ has come and been raised and ascended back to heaven, that he's prepared a way to our heavenly home. And Father, please help us to be a people who believe your promises and so have great certainty that we too will make it home to be with him forever. Amen.